chapter 3. If you're visiting with us, you're catching the very last message of a series entitled Equip. And we've been doing a study on being equipped for spiritual warfare. And so this week is kind of just the, 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 the summary. We're going to kind of close it down and uh, try to give you just some helpful, practical things. This is kind of a, a shotgun type sermon. Um, there's going to be a lot of different, you know, kind of different things we're going to cover. Um, and so I hope it's helpful. It's just some practical things to consider, some helpful things when we're looking at uh, spiritual warfare. So we're going to continue in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I'm going to warn you, we will be using some scripture. Uh, we'll have the scripture for you or you can follow along. And so uh, just kind of be ready because we're going to look at a number of different passages. I do hope and pray that this series has been a help, that it has been a blessing to you uh, as we try to be equipped for the spiritual battle that we're in. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, all scripture is God-breathed, okay? So the, the word of God is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. It trains us to, to, to live the Christian life. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly, here's the key word, equipped for every good work. So we've been discussing and studying being equipped in particular for spiritual warfare. We're going to go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 real quick in verses 3 through 6. Notice what the Bible says. It says this. Paul says to us as believers, as Christians... For though we live in the world, we do not wage war. Notice, again, he's speaking about a spiritual warfare. He says, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And we, we studied the last few weeks the weapons that, that the Lord has given us. The scriptures, which is the word of God, is the sword of the spirit. We have prayer. We have fasting. And then last week we talked about praise and worship is a, a weapon. But notice he says we have weapons that are not the same that the world uses. They're spiritual weapons. On the contrary, they have divine power. I like this word to demolish. Say the word demolish. Demolish. I like that word, don't you? It's wrestling season, guys. It's wrestling season. Christmas came early for me. I'm a wrestling coach. We had our first full week of wrestling practice, and I just started getting passionate, and I started getting, Ugh. and I'm like, you got to be physical. You got to take out the enemy. You got to take him out into the deep water and drown them, and all the guys are. I'm like, if you're going to run a bar, run a half, stick your forearm in the back of their head and make them eat the mat. Ugh. Demolish your enemies. Come on now, church. Amen. He says the weapons we fight with, he says, are not the, what we use here on earth. But he says they have the power, their divine power to demolish strongholds. We will come back to the, these words, demolish. Again, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of, of disobedience once your obedience is complete. He uses strong language, strong words. And, and we're reminded as well, 
throughout this teaching that we said this, that the primary battlefield in the spiritual war that we're in is where? It's mentioned here. It's in the what? The mind. And we have to take every thought captive. And so Paul says in Ephesians 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You see, wrestling is a spiritual sport. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But he says, but we wrestle against principalities and against powers and against the rulers. Notice this of darkness of this dark world and the spiritual wickedness in high places. And so Paul says that we're in a great spiritual conflict, that we're in a spiritual battle. Peter warned and he said, we, he says, be vigilant and be sober. He says, be alert, beware, because your enemy is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're in a great spiritual conflict, light versus darkness, good versus evil. And Satan is at work. And so Paul says, you must put on the full armor. And so we spent weeks and we went through the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And then later, uh, as we just kind of finished up, we went through the arsenal that God has given us, the weapons, the spiritual weapons that I mentioned just a moment ago. And so we have this armor that we're to put on as we go out into battle. And we have the weapons that God has given us as we go into battle. And so with these in mind, I also want to just give us a few other pointers, if you will, when it comes to being a good soldier of Christ. Notice what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. He looks at the Christian life as a spiritual conflict, a spiritual battle. And he reminds us and he reminds you that you are a soldier. You are a soldier of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because he uses the term being a good soldier. You know, there can be good soldiers and there can be bad soldiers. He's reminding us that we need to be a good soldier. He says this, join with me in suffering. Paul says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Notice what he says. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. May I remind you of something? The Lord Jesus Christ is our commanding officer. Amen? And he gives us the orders. And as a good soldier, we must be obedient to the word of God and take the word of God and applying it to our lives so that we can live this life as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There are good soldiers, there are bad soldiers. It's interesting because I think here's a pointer, if you will, or some keys to victory in the spiritual war that we're in, and that is this, is that Paul says that one thing about a good soldier is this, a good soldier is not entangled in civilian affairs. You say, well, what does that mean? It means this, love not the world, neither the things of the world. Come on, right? He says, the idea is this, don't let the world get you distracted. Remember I mentioned earlier, Peter said, be sober, to be vigilant, to be aware, to be on guard, to be alert. May I say to you, the idea is this, is that if a, if, if a soldier is entangled in civilian affairs, if a soldier gets so in, entangled, the idea is this, is he gets distracted. And when we're distracted, that's when the enemy will get us. Be alert, be alert, be alert, be aware, be on guard. Do you understand that Satan, the Bible says, Jesus said he comes to steal, 
to kill and to destroy. We, as followers of Christ, to be a good soldier, we must always be, be aware and be alert. And the Bible says be vigilant. Because if we're not, listen, if we get distracted, that's when the enemy is going to try to take us out. We can get so entangled in our affairs and our, in our lives that before long we're going out to spiritual battle. And it's been days, it's been weeks since we've been in the word. None of us, I promise you, none of us, if we were truly in a spiritual war, would go out into battle not carrying a weapon. Some of you don't even come to church not carrying a weapon. Come on now. Now you're no one saying anything. But we know it's true. I see people in Smiths carrying weapons. I see people in Lens carrying weapons. I see people in Walmart carrying weapons. I love Utah, by the way. Amen. <laughs> Did I mention that? <laughs> I love Utah. But the idea is this. You would not go into spiritual battle. You, uh, you should not be going to spiritual battle without a weapon. You would not go to war you would not go into war without a weapon, without some type of arsenal. And yet many a times we are not living in such a way that we are in spiritual war. Live like you are at war because you are. It reminds me of a story in the Bible. I love it. In the book of Judges, we won't go there, but in Judges 7, there was a judge, a man that God was going to use to deliver Israel from their enemies. And his name was Gideon. How many of you have ever heard of Gideon in the Bible, the story of Gideon? I love the story of Gideon. By the way, it's the story of the original 300 men. You know, we like the story of the Spartans and the 300, but this is the original 300. This is Gideon's 300. But what the, we see is this, is in the scripture, I think it's a very beautiful picture or illustration that the Bible gives us of what it looks like to be a good soldier. There was a Midianite army, a vast army that had, had basically come up against Israel. In Judges chapter 7, some say 135,000 plus. It was a huge, vast army. And God calls Gideon and he says, Gideon, you're going to lead an army and you're going to, you're going to take out the enemy. and I'm going to give you the victory. And he's like, who, me? What? Me? Really? I don't know. I don't think you got the right guy. And he says, yes, you, Gideon. And he says, call up the army. Call up, get, get as many as you can. And so 32,000 soldiers show up. Many of you know the story. So 32,000 soldiers show up. And he says, all right, we're going to be taking on the Midianite, Midianites. And they're, they're right there at, at the door. They're right there. And they're outnumbered astronomically. And then God says, that, you know what? You have too many. You have too many, Gideon. And by the way, this is obedience. But he says, Gideon, you have too many. Anyone that's afraid, anyone that doesn't want to be there, anyone, he says, send them home. Tell them to go home. And there's a whole other uh, message here. But here's the thing. The idea is this. If you go back earlier in Scripture, numerous times the Bible says that if there are those who are fearful, the Lord says, send those soldiers home. Because here's what, a very, very important lesson you can learn. Fear is contagious and will spread. It's a cancer. 
And he said, send him home. And so he sent him home. And so we realized that, that 22,000 leave, leaving Gideon with 10,000. And if you remember the story, he has 10,000 <coughs> soldiers. And the Lord says that it's still too many. Take them down to this brook. And he says, when you get down to the brook, he says, the ones I say that I want you to keep and the ones I say to go home, go home. Now, remember, the Midianites are right there. They're very close and they're going to get ready to go to battle with the Midianites. And so when he takes them to the brook, he tells Gideon, watch them drink. And the ones that just kind of put their face in the water and just kind of suck up the water, he says, send all of those home. But the ones that kneel down and pick up the water and drink the water and lap the water, those are the ones you keep. And so he ends up with his 300. But the 300 men he had were good soldiers. Are you with me? You say, why, why did God do that? What, what is that all about? They were 300 who were not careless. They were 300 who were being vigilant. They were 300 who were on guard, who were watching, knowing that the Midianites were all around them. And that when they knelt down to drink, that they did not, they were always alert and aware. And I think what a beautiful picture, what a beautiful analogy, because they were in war and they were going to war. But what a beautiful picture for you and I, that if we want to be good soldiers of Christ, we have to be alert. We have to be aware. We cannot be entangled and distracted by the things of this world. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 27. Listen to this power. Ephesians 4, 27. It says this. I don't have time to go into all the context. But in this context of this verse, he, spe he speaks about this anger and bitterness, evil speaking, lying, unforgiveness, Mentions a number of things, but notice what he says. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Strongholds start with footholds. What is a stronghold? People oftentimes think about strongholds in your life. A stronghold is what we call it. It's a fortress. It's a strong, fortified position. And the Bible tells us this. He says, do not give, some versions say, do not give place to the devil. Do not give, here the Bible says, a foothold, which is just a small little piece of ground. If I'm not for sure, but I'm pretty sure I did some study a while back and the, the word for this is literally topography. Don't give the enemy even one inch. If you give the enemy one inch, he's going to take 10 miles. Strongholds lead, uh, I'm sorry, strongholds start with footholds. The enemy wants to get one little foothold in your life. You cannot give the enemy an inch or he will take over in your life. Proverbs chapter 5, look at this passage with me. Verses 22 and 23. We mentioned this earlier in the series, but listen to these words carefully. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. And he is held fast, he's bound. What a beautiful, see the picture there? This person who's bound, look at this. And he is held fast in the cords, plural, of his sin. 
He dies for lack of discipline. Because of his great folly, he is led astray. Do you understand that the devil, well, he, he, is, he is patient and he is more than happy to get just a little toehold, just a little foothold in your life. And once he gets a little foothold, before long, he will create and develop a stronghold. And before long, he will then create a stranglehold over you. Boy, I hate to use wrestling so much, but in wrestling, is it all right? I can, you can handle it, right? In wrestling, it's about, we call it winning positions. It's all about position. I joke with the guys, but we talk about it. I'm like, listen, you're like a spider that spins the web. How about we use, use creation? The Lord used creation all the time. He says, look at the ant and learn from its ways. Look at creation and learn from its ways. You know, a spider spins a very pretty, beautiful web. And before long, he, he captures his prey in, in that beautiful web. And then, uh, then he sticks the venom in. And sometimes what he'll do is he'll spin the web and save it for a midnight snack. You know what I mean? Boy, can I tell you something? You and I do not want to be the enemy's midnight snack. Yet we are. Many Christians fall prey to the enemy because he is patient. And he, is, he will take a little foothold and before long he will create a stronghold in your life. In wrestling, it's about Winning positions, winning one little position at a time, and then slowly, methodically snuffing the life out of your prey. I mean, I'm sorry, out of your victim. <laughs> Proverbs says this, as we just read, he says that they're entangled by the cords, cords, plural, of their sin. The dangerous thing about sin in our lives and allowing sin into our life is this, is oftentimes you say, you think, well, I'm just holding on to this sin. Can I tell you, before long, you don't even realize it, but it is the sin that is holding on to you. And it grips you. And it wants to squeeze the life out of you. And so before long, it's like Samson who at one time is flirting with sin and playing with sin and we think we can taunt the enemy and we think we can get away with it. And Samson, this great man of valor, this mighty man who, yes, many times able to break the cords and thought that he could one-up his enemy. There was finally a point in time where Samson no longer had the strength. And the Bible says that he was bound. And he was blinded. He grinded at the mill. Heard one, someone once say this, that sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will blind you and blind you and grind you. And so you cannot allow the enemy to have any foothold in your life. He says, Paul says, give no place to the enemy. Quit playing with sin. Quit thinking that somehow you can handle it. The Bible warns this. Paul says to, to believers, to the Corinthian church, he says, let, let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Samson thought that he could taunt the enemy. Samson thought that he could, if you will, flirt with sin and that he could get away with it. But it wasn't long before he's grinding at the mill and his eyes burned out of his head and now he's grinding and he's humbled and he's humiliated. Can I tell you something? The enemy wants to do the same thing to you and I. 
I can click on this internet picture. I can, I can look at just a little bit of porn. I can drink some of this and hit some of that and have some of this and have some of that. I can get me some. I can handle it. I can handle the flirtatious woman at work or the flirtatious guy at work. I can handle it. I can, you know, I can send some texts and we can, on the side, we can do some things. Oh, you better watch out. You think the enemy, do you think the enemy does not want to wreck a marriage or wreck a home or wreck a family or destroy destroy a home and have kids grown up and, and torn up homes and families and marriages? Come on, guys, let's wake up. Come on, church, somebody say amen. amen. It's time we wake up. We're at war. We're at spiritual war, spiritual conflict. And some of you college kids, I can go to this party and I can, I can go and, you know, I can, I can get high and I can do some of these things. And then there's going to be regrets. I know some really good young people, some amazing young people who went off to a party. I know of one young man, I can't even say his name. Because if I said his name, almost everyone in here knows who his brother is. We, he grew up in our, in our house and going to our home. His brother, let's just say this last year, won an NBA, won an NBA ring for Denver. And his younger brother, great guy, good guy, went off to one party and on his way home, on his way home from one party, one, the devil will use whatever he can, was drunk and on his way home, he killed a single mom and almost killed another man in that car accident. And, and it's not long and he has to be sentenced. And you know what? It breaks my heart because he's such a good young man. He learned, they would... They would hang out with my kids, spend the night with my kids, do Bible studies with them. A good family and good churches and good people. And got around some of the wrong people and went to a party. And on the way home, his, complete, his life is completely changed. And now he's, and it's not even that, it, you can see it. He's living with the guilt of what he did. No one says, I want to wreck my life, or I want to ruin my marriage, or I want, to, I want to just rock my kid's world. No one wakes up one morning and says, you know what I want to do? I want to devastate my family. I want to devastate my kids. Uh, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm going to do this morning. But can I tell you something? If you flirt with sin and you play with sin, and uh, uh, let me tell you something. The enemy will use it, and before long, you will have strongholds in your life. And you'll have to, you, you, it's all, can I just say this? We can demolish strongholds, but wouldn't it be a whole lot better to never even allow the enemy to even have a foothold in our life? Prevention is a better medicine. And so you must eradicate sin, the enemy in your life. No one ever says this. Well, and we have people in our church going through this, and I'm not, and this is of the utmost seriousness. But we have some of you who are praying for some of you. Some of you are battling cancer. We have some who have days, weeks, 
months left with cancer. But no one, if they were to wake up one day and go in and go through a routine checkup or a checkup and something's not right and we're going to do some blood tests and your, your, your blood cells just aren't quite right and now we're going to do some scans and, and then all of a sudden they say, they say the horrible word that all of us just hate and we just despise and they say cancer. No one's going to say, ah, it's just a little cancer. It's okay. Just let it go. It'll be fine. We don't say that, do we? Come on. You say, we got to get that out. We have to do whatever it takes to kill that, to get that out of our bodies. Can I tell you something? We must, we must hate sin so much in our lives that we want it eradicated. We want it killed. We want it gone. Look at, look at this example in 2 Kings. In 2 Kings 13, it says this. I love these stories. They're, they're just beautiful pictures. It says, now Elisha. Remember the prophet, there was Elijah, but then the second prophet after Elijah was Elisha. It says, now Elisha had been suffering from an illness from which he, he, he died. He's going to die from this illness. Notice what happens, though. Jehoash, the king of Israel, went down to see Elisha. He went down to see him, and he weeps over him, and he says, my father, my father, he cried. He, he referred to him as this, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. He knew that, that victory came through this man of God, that God, when God's favor was with the nation of Israel, God would give him victory. So he says, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel, Elisha says to him, he says, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. And he says, take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had it taken, Elisha put his uh, his hands on the king's hands. And then he says this, open the east window. And he said, he said, he opened it. So he opens the east window. He says, shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. And this is what he said. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. He says, this is a picture of victory. He says, take an arrow and shoot it. This is symbolic of your victory. So he says, take an arrow and shoot it. And so he does. And so Elisha, he, he declares this. He says, you will completely destroy the, the Arameans at Aphek. But notice what happens. He doesn't stop there. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. And Elisha told him, strike the ground. So he takes out the arrow and he shoots the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. If we read, if we read one more verse after that, I don't know if you can get it. But the verse after it says this, is that Elisha got angry. Elisha got angry. He got angry with him because he stopped. It says this, that the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat him three times. Do you guys see the beautiful picture here? Are you guys getting this? Elisha, the man of God, says, this arrow is a symbol of your, of your victory over the enemy. He says, go ahead and shoot your enemy, so to speak. So he takes it and he shoots it three times. Elisha gets angry and said, in, in essence, you should have shot it five or six times. What he's saying is, unload the quiver. Take, unload the quiver and take out your enemy. Because if you don't take out your enemy, sooner or later your enemy is going to come back to get you. And if you study the history, what you'll find is this, is they had victory over their enemy three times. But after those three times, their enemy came back to take over. How many times do we not completely get sin out of our lives? 
We're running out of time. So listen. War. War is made up of many battles. The Christian life is made up of many battles. You may lose some battles. But by God's grace, we can win the war. Amen? You may lose some battles. As some would say, you may lose a battle, but you can win the war. The Christian life is made up of many battles, many skirmishes. When you think about historically wars, many times they last months and sometimes years and some even decades. And it's a series of many, many, many different battles. And I want to just kind of encourage you a little bit, and that is this, is that there are going to be times in our spiritual lives, in our walk with God, that we are going to have lose some battles. But can I just encourage you with this, and that is this, is that you may lose some battles, but by God's grace, we can still win the war. You may have fallen, but the Bible tells us in Proverbs, I love this passage, Proverbs 24, 16, you may fall, but you can fall forward. He says, for though the righteous fall seven times, I like this, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. He says, the righteous man, he falls down, but he's falling forward. He gets back up again. And he falls and he gets back up again. And I want to also encourage you this morning, and that is this, is that through the power of God, you can demolish strongholds. And through the power of God, and through the word of God and the Holy Spirit, that yes, you can lose some battles, but just because you've lost a battle does not mean that you will lose the war. Amen, church? And that your Lord Jesus Christ loves you and he is with you. And although you fall down, you can fall forward. I, I want you to hear this statement I'm about to make because all of us have failed in times in our lives. And we have failed epically. Samson is an example of a man who failed. But can I tell you something? He did fall forward because we see that on his last day, he calls out to God and he humbles himself. And what does God do? God gives him the victory. And in that last battle, the Bible says that that was his greatest of all victories. You may have failed, but can I tell you something? You are not a failure. Failure. I love this. We learned this in our men's Bible study a couple weeks ago. Failure is an event. It is not a person. Failure is an event. It is not a person. If you get nothing else this morning, I want you to really take root of that, take hold of that. Because maybe you have stumbled. Maybe you have fallen. Maybe you've lost some battles. But can I tell you something? By the power of the grace of God and through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can still be victorious. You may have fallen, but you can get back up. And you may lose a battle, but you have not lost a war. Please, somebody say hallelujah. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that there is mercy and that there is grace? Every battle is important. Understand that. We cannot dwell on our past defeats. We can learn from them and move forward. But let me also remind you of this and warn you. You cannot dwell and live on your past victories either. You see, Samson really did live mostly a life of victory. 
when you look at his, his abilities, and then it was a point where he thought he could just, it says this, it's a sad verse. One of the saddest verses in the book of Judges and the story of Samson is this, is that he's flirting with sin and playing with sin and he's taunting the enemy. And what does he do? He, he breaks out and he goes out and, and he, he, he defeats the enemy and he does it two or three times and then there's finally a time where he says, okay, if you shave my head and they shave his head and he loses his power, he loses his strength. But it says this, that he shook himself and he said, I will go out and I will fight and I will have the victory like I did all the other times. And it says he didn't realize that the Lord, his strength had left him. Very sad. You see, so many times what I fear is this, is that many Christians are just living on their past victories. You cannot live on your past victories. You must be in tune with the Spirit and be alert and be vigilant and be walking with the Lord because at any moment the enemy wants to come in when we least expect it. And when we're unaware, he wants to get in and he wants to wreak havoc in our lives. We will win the war. You guys ready for this? Colossians 1, two more passages. Colossians 1, 12 through 14. I love this. And give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. We are the kingdom of light, amen? And he has rescued, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible is saying this, you have been delivered. You've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you are brought into the kingdom of, of light. And you are brought into the same place. The Bible says we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen? Understand this. In this spiritual battle and spiritual war that we are in, understand that we are going to go through battles, many different battles, what I've discovered and found is this, is that maybe there's areas in our life, maybe it's anger, and God gives us victory over anger, but then all of a sudden over here, we're, we're like, oh no, I've got a battle with this one over here. Maybe it's, maybe it's lust, and I'm, I'm, Lord, give me victory over this one. Have you ever noticed you get victory in one area, and all of a sudden you're over here and have, have another one? And then all of a sudden, maybe it's unforgiveness, and maybe it's, it's anger, and maybe it's uh, someone hurt you, and someone wronged you, and now you're struggling with some type of bitterness. And, and maybe for some, we all go through different things, different battles, different struggles. Then all of a sudden, it's a financial battle. You're like, oh, God, help us. And, and you get through that financial battle, and you get through it, and you're like, oh, praise the Lord. This is awesome. This is great. And then all of a sudden, you have kids. And there, oh, boy. Then you have no finances, and you have stress, and you have anxiety. And then you're like, every day is a battle, you know what I mean? Just brushing their teeth is a battle. And you're holding them down, just giving them their medicines a battle, just, you know, cleaning the rooms a battle. And then, you know, and then some of you are like, yes, finally our kids have moved on, and they're whatever. And then it's like, okay, then you're praying for them. And then finally, they seem to be doing well, and then it's other stages. And then it's health. 
You know, and, and it, it, I'm finding this out as I'm getting older. It's like uh, first it was a, a, a hernia, then it was a foot, and then it was a knee. And so I'm now limping around my knee, and then I'm working on that. And then it's my, my, this elbow, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And then I talk to Gary, and he says, just get used to it, dude. Just get used to it, as he just got done with his shoulder surgery. And then it just on and on. And you just, listen to me, it's a battle. And we go through battles, but I want to remind you of something. Please be encouraged this morning that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be a day that we can lay down our arms, so to speak. There's going to be a day where we don't no longer have to go through this battle. We are promised that we are a part of his inheritance and that we are brought into the kingdom of light and we have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. And our last verse for today, listen to these words in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. I love this. I can't wait for this day. Listen to these words. And the devil who deceived them, the nations, the, the people, the devil who deceived them was thrown into a lake of burning sulfur where the beast and prophet, false prophet have been thrown. And the Bible says this, that they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. And all God's people said, you are on the winning side, praise God. You are on the winning side and there's going to be a day when the enemy will be cast into the lake of fire where he deserves and belongs and he will be there forever and ever and ever and we will be delivered, the Bible says, from our mortal bodies and these mortal bodies will put on immortality and we will live and dwell with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And we will no longer be at war. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen, church. And we will not be at, in battle. And we can put down the sword. And we can put down the armor. And the Bible says all through the book of Hebrews, we enter into that place of rest where we can literally just sit back and just enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ because he is our Savior. And the Bible says this, but thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and pray this morning. Lord, we love